Howdy. Hello. It's time for another episode of Gutless. It's going to be a really good one. I'm excited. We do have another guest on the way who's coming in hot from a, a phone call. I don't know if we're going to get any exciting news. Uh, we're not. Uh, but I'm sure it's a very important call or else Matt Schmidt would be here already. <laughs> so I, I like to start off these things with a kind of a, I don't know, something that I think is a little bit fun to start off with. And I was thinking that um, uh, a good way to summarize what we'll be talking about is um, something that was reported first by Cool Hand Luke. What, we're, what we've got here is a failure to communicate. So Explain. A little bit. <laughs> Just an old movie reference that I'm <laughs> screwing it up as I went into it. <laughs> uh, we are supposed to understand what that refers to. I mean, I know the movie reference, right? I'm not that young. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, um, it's just, uh, I mean, I actually don't think it matters what it refers to. My goal when I sort of find these things is to try and take things as much out of context as possible because, okay. um, I mean, my understanding, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while, uh, was that, you know, they're getting ready to fight. And like, this is just about telecommunications. So, um, <laughs> this is, this is how good I am at, um, at, uh, what they call filling time in the industry, uh, as we hope that, uh, Matt Schmidt will join us imminently. Um, and, uh, let me start by introducing, um, uh, our co-host, uh, Travis Carter. Um, Travis Carter is the director of a fiber motion picture coming to your town. If you live in the Minneapolis vicinity, welcome. And, and do you like my, uh, RV disco Vegas kind of backdrop today? Different than my normal one. So we're, uh, we're, on, we're on the Wi-Fi here at the campground. So let's see how this goes. It looks so. sharp. You look like you're transmitting in high definition and, uh, we've seen no glitches in your audio. So I think it's a win. Very nice. We where were you last week? There were two weeks ago when we did it. You were in, oh, you were in Dallas, but that was a good yeah, connection. I was in Dallas in the um in the ice storm. So yeah, it was. Uh, were you on two, Wi-Fi? Two, two situation. Sorry, Peggy. I'll I'll, I'll just a little story no, this here. This is so, fascinating. How so, so where we, do you go? Know it gets cold. I'm just saying. We, exactly. We left Minnesota. <laughs> we end up in Dallas, and we get three inches of ice all over the camper. So then we head out to uh, Palm Springs and beautiful and then decide to travel to san diego over the mountain i should have done some research ahead of time man it was blizzard snow up on top of the mountains unbelievable so anyways it, i did that won't... without snow and i and i can imagine what it was like um because we did that oh. to go visit matt last uh, right around christmas yeah so i'm just happy to be with you all after that experience let's just say it was a little uh little anxiety traveling over the mountains so. but i was trying to keep this on topic nonetheless because your connection two weeks ago was great you didn't have any interruptions uh it worked throughout do you remember was that on wi-fi or was that that on... was uh, lte and actually i went and found the cell tower which was about a quarter of a mile away line of sight beautiful had very good signal and that uh, it worked well it worked okay. well there because you've had really bad experiences with LTE for some of these calls. Uh, yes, yes. And so far, we're doing okay. Okay. So we have, we're going to be talking about state broadband offices with uh, returning guests. Uh, one of my favorite people to talk about uh, on these subjects um, with Peggy Schaefer, who is the director of Connect Me Authority. Did I say that right? 
it's connect Maine. We had to change the name because somebody came up with somebody, some other for, for profit group came up with the connect me. So we changed it to mm. connect Maine. Oh, okay. Because we're also well, not connecting one person, right? We're building a network. So, right. But I just thought the, the connect me with Maine being, you know, for people who are confused about all the M states, M E yeah. is Maine. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked out really well. Um, and we're going to have uh, Matt Schmidt, who is the director of the Illinois Office of Broadband and chair of the Illinois Broadband Advisory Council joining us imminently. Um, and so since everyone is a director, I thought I would admit that I, Chris Mitchell, at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, am lacking direction. Uh, that is my role at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Um, You're self-directed. Right. Well, I think to most people, they would uh, assume that I was just lacking direction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, we have an event coming up that I wanted to note quick uh, for listeners. Uh, it is March 16th and it's going to be a virtual event using this platform in which we were going to have a two-hour webinar with a variety of different speakers coming in, um, having some short speakers you know, for five minutes or so, uh, having some uh, small panels, uh, having some quizzes, some Q&A, some trivia type stuff. It's going to be a fun event. It's going to be super informative. Uh, we're working with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance on it. And so we'll be sharing more information about that over the course of next week. But I uh, wanted people to save that date if they're able to join us, because I think it's going to be the first of a new approach to trying to do some of these webinars and talking about this stuff in an informative way and, uh, and making sure that uh, we're raising the bar on webinars. So with that, I think we can dive into the first topic. And um, uh, one yeah, thing, go ahead, Travis. Would you like to also talk about the very important event that is happening um is it march 4th is that what's coming up yeah i think it is um okay. i don't know if if henry wants to put himself on the the video for a second but have you uh has henry had a chance to uh cut the video out in which i made my foolish uh bet uh not yet but we'll have we'll have that next week to commemorate the moment yeah we march timed 4th. it so that uh kim and doug will be here um Okay. And then Travis, you'll have to come back to the the Twin Cities, and I assume I'll be buying you the wings in the spring, and the fall, and the summer, but not yeah. the winter. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, because I have concluded I am no longer a citizen of the state of Minnesota during the winter. Yes, so uh, I will come back and collect the chicken wings when the weather is above fifty degrees. <laughs> so that that bet, um, I still have another week if the FCC were to somehow raise the definition of broadband in the next week. Um, it would be difficult to do with uh, the 2-2 commission as it stands, but... Uh, um, well, you might have some insight on it. Maybe she knows something we don't, so... I don't... Given uh, given what the federal government has to do to decide what toilet paper to buy, I don't think they're making a decision on 25-3 in a week. Nice. <laughs> and that's the kind of analysis that we can... <laughs> I can appreciate <laughs> Peggy. Let's start by talking about Maine. Let's uh, yeah. skip ahead to bullet number two because, um, you know, we've had different governors uh, announce different goals, and the Maine, uh, your governor, um, has announced universal broadband in two years, according to the headlines. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into exactly what that means, but let's just start by applauding a governor setting a short time table and saying that we can do great things. Let's get on it. Yeah, you know, we, um, you know, whenever state of the states come up, right, they immediately call all the people and they say, so what is our goal? And so we sat down and we looked at the numbers and um, 
and looked at what we have funded so far and what the costs have been and looked at the federal money coming our direction and said, you know, we have about 80,000 people who are unconnected. By the end of 2024, we can get all those people connected. And so that's, you know, her, her, that's what she, that's her goal. It's a challenge. It's not easy. Right. And so, um, that it's sort of a, it's, it's laying down the gauntlet for people in Maine to sort of get together, um, and really move forward fast. And it, for us as a state agency, trying to figure out how to put the systems in place to get them there fast. So, um, you know, it's, it is definitely a, you know, a big hairy goal, but you know, I, I think we look at the numbers. We can do it. We can do it. That's exciting. So what, by what definition, what separates those 80,000 people from other people in Maine? Is it lacking 25-3? Is it? Yeah, it's generally it? lacking 25-3. Yeah. Okay. So All right. people with, with roughly 25-3 or less is, and you know, that, that we'll get to mapping next, but the mappings are a little, hmm, but we, we, you know, are pretty, pretty sure that we have about 80,000 people. Um, and we, it's a part, it, we can do it. This is a goal we can meet. Awesome. Welcome, Matt. Hey, <laughs> better no, late than I, never, right, Chris? I, I warned people that uh, that we knew that you would be coming in hot. So uh, I'm glad you can make it. Uh, the Matt, the director of the Illinois Office of Broadband and chair of the Illinois Broadband Advisory Council. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to talk about Maine for a few more minutes. I'd love to have you, if you have any questions that you have about Maine. I had one that just came into my head that's not in the agenda, but Peggy uh, has no problem fielding this sort of stuff, I guess. Um, Peggy. Some states are just setting up their first broadband office. Uh, you guys have two, it seems like. And so I was wondering if you could just give us a, a quick sense of how the uh, the office run by uh, Andrew Butcher is different. Um, because when they established that office, I was like, are they trying to undercut Peggy? But then they installed him, and he's great. So, so what? Um, when we looked at our statute last year, we, we know we have um, things that I guess we could call guardrails in our statute about things we can do and things we cannot do. Um, and some of this, quite frankly, it started with when we tried to do CARES funding and we tried to fund uh, kids, um, connections to kids. And we discovered our statute doesn't allow us to build in areas where somebody's already served. So we couldn't use that money like in downtown Brunswick or, or South Portland to bring a higher quality, low cost service to students. And that was sort of the genesis. Right. So. Um, and there were other things in our statute we knew we couldn't do. Like we really there's we can't really own things. Um, and so we created the main, let's put it this way. We, our choice was to clean up our statute, which would have been a fight or to create something bright and new that everybody could get behind. And so that's what we did. Um, and so we created the main connectivity authority, which doesn't have any guardrails in statute, right? So <laughs> is it, that how they sold it? <laughs> no, that is not how we sold it. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, it can, it, it can, depending on, on money, right, where the money comes from, it can serve the unserved, it can serve the served, it can bring a higher, uh, lower quality, a higher quality, low cost service to certain areas of the state that right now have some level of service, but it's unaffordable. It can own things. So it can own middle mile. We could, we can use it to, um, if we have an area that we want to invest in with a public utility, it can become that public utility and own last mile. Um, and so it opens up a lot more possibilities. And if we're going to use this federal money smartly, and if we're going to use it quick, and if we're going to connect people, we needed every tool in the toolbox. So that's one of the reasons we created it. And we are 
when I say we're working closely, we are like, I think Andrew and I are on, I don't know, three calls a day with each other around a whole variety of things. And we're, you know, so the strategy about the capital projects fund, we're working jointly on um, our current round of infrastructure grants. Uh, some of the, some of the federal funding is coming in that to beef that up. We're talking about using our process with some tweaks because of the federal funding uh, for another round, probably early this summer. So it really is a um, it's a very smooth sort of relationship between the two. And we're still ironing out what happens to Connect Maine and what um, we have a small funding stream that we don't want to get rid of. And so we're trying to we're trying to figure out sort of how this all works together. Um, and are there going to be pieces that we are going to continue to do and pieces they're going to continue to do? It's all sort of be, to be determined, but we're all on the same path. I mean, we literally are. I'm not making that up. Excellent. I just wanted to clarify one thing, which was that I think you were speaking uh, in, in, in a style close to my heart when I think you a little flippantly when you said that it could serve served people. And, <laughs> and, I, and I suspect what you, what you had meant was that areas that appear to already have service where perhaps not everyone is able to take advantage right. of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you look at like, if you look at the, the, the national broadband ability map um, on um, that the NTIA has up and you focus in on the town of Lewiston, what you see is that that immediate downtown area on the FCC has 25.3, but for, they don't, people don't have computers and they don't have access. And so the question is how we fix that, right? And so it is sort of an urban area, um, a lot of, you know, three-story walk-ups. Um, and, you know, it's an area that right now is heavily settled by Somalis. And so is that an area we could do a Wi-Fi network in? And then main connectivity could own that. So there's it opens up the possibilities that I think we really need in our toolbox to do to do this smartly and do it and do it well. Excellent. Travis or Matt, do you have any any quick questions on Maine? So many questions for Peggy, but uh, from from the <laughs> far vantage point, it seems like you're doing incredible work. And so uh, we're trying to to borrow uh, inspiration from you in so many regards. But well, sounds like I think, you know, all of our states are working hard and we all I, I would say, um, you know, the one thing about all this federal money that sort of is a little to me is that when I constantly hear people and, and you know, look, the big telecoms are big for this saying states really don't know what they're doing. We do. There are states have been are working at this, even states that have just starting their program. They're hiring people. They're being smart about it, you know. Louisiana didn't have a program at all. And honest to God, they have a fabulous program now. And so there's a lot of work being done in states and it's good work. Mm -hmm. So I guess, Peggy, I guess my question is, you said uh, 80,000 folks was your plan in the next two years. Is that, are you building a new network or are you utilizing network that's already there? I'm just kind of curious from the kind of practical plumbing side of the equation, how, how you're planning delivering to them. Some of it is we'll be building over DSL. A lot of it will be building over DSL. Some of it will be expansion of, you know, fiber cable that's already out there. There will also probably be, as we do this, um, some uh, places where we're going to be able to, where we're going to use wireless that will, um, you know, that will bring service, but um, has fiber coming to it so that 
over the time period we can over time then we can upgrade those final pieces to, to fiber but we're but gonna be making every option and there are places every state has them right lots of places every state has them that are going to be on satellite right because they're two miles down a road or they don't they're off the grid or something like that and so there are you know there's lots of technology options and we're going to be looking at all of them and Peggy, in this case, you're not going to be likely owning many of those. That's often going to be other providers that are um, being supported to expand, I'm guessing. I don't know that that's true, right? Because oh, okay. we, we have areas of the state where um, the existing provider is not necessarily that interested. And so that becomes a very hard conversations in community about who's going to do it, right? And so if we can step in and um, build and own that network and then build up an, a community ownership at the same time, that might be a solution. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I wanted to move to uh, another item we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about um, speed tests, speeds, um, and how much effort is going to mapping speeds, whether or not this is useful, and if it is going to be done, how to do it in the most useful manner. I do want to also just give people a sense that we're going to be talking more about how to engage local communities because um, both uh, Matt and Peggy are really um, two of the state leaders that have taken, I think, the most care and take it very seriously how to connect um, local communities to make sure that they are engaged in those processes and, and why that is. Um, talk about some of the different ways that states may be um, using policy. Uh, and and then we're, we're going to talk about success stories and uh, and headaches and the kinds of things that they have to deal with. So, so that's where we're going with this conversation. If anyone wants to help shape the conversation. If you don't like where I'm taking it, you can uh, throw an item in the chat and I will really enjoy ignoring it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to have ideas in the chat about questions that I'm not thinking of so we can uh, make sure we, we use this time well. So feel free to to do that. Um, but let me let me throw it off there and ask Travis quick. You know, Travis, you know, you and I have complained before, um, often more just on phone calls with each other about different speed tests. You don't like some of them because they might be better at measuring um, the, the slow connections and not be as good at measuring if you're really delivering a full gigabit to someone's home. Um, so there's a technology issue. There's a part of me that just feels like, do we even care what the speed is when like the question is like, um, is it a technology that we know will meet the test of time? And so, you know, maybe I can get a decent connection on DSL. Does that matter right now for me? So I don't, I'm just curious how you think about it, Travis. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just look at it as when, when you take, when are you going to take the speed test? What are the numbers that you're trying to meet? Which, you know, gives you a little bit of insight. But the, the, I guess the challenge I have is if you're a fiber overbuilder and you're putting gigabit service or 10 gigabit service into each of the properties, but you're providing, let's just say for conversation, a hundred megabit service. Does that really paint the appropriate picture for what technology and capacity is available there? You know, at any particular you know census block or whatever component you want to you want to measure. And then secondarily, when are you taking the tests? Are you taking, you know, are you taking the tests at three a.m. on a Thursday? You know, when everyone's asleep and there's tons of node capacity. Or are you taking the tests on Sunday night at 7 p.m. and Monday night at 8 p.m., which historically are the two highest traffic uh, times of the of the week, or during a um, you know a major event like a Super Bowl or something else that goes on? And then lastly, I, I think it's a little bit tough because I think a lot of a network's value is how good you are connected to other networks now. Um, 
you know, if, if you've got a lot of good peering with other providers and, and other content providers, you're going to be able to provide an, a pretty good experience over a marginal network. So I guess the question is, the thing about speed tests is it's easy for everyone to understand. Oh, I have the little arrow goes to 25 and the other little arrow goes to three. Check the box and move on. I, I just think that it's a much more complicated conversation. And if we're going to spend federal dollars to buy technology, I think it needs to meet more than just the minimum requirement. Otherwise, well, you know, I guess the good news is we'll be able to have this show forever then because we'll just in a few years, we'll just replace what we have, you know, with what we have that's out there today. So so I, I don't think speed tests are a real accurate way, I guess is what I'm saying, to if you're going to spend a tremendous amount of money building, overbuilding somebody. But this is my opinion. Yeah, and then that this one when I think go through this. Yes, yeah. so let's uh, let's hear from Peggy and then go to Matt too. So we use speed tests a lot. We actually um, have a speed test platform. We do with Geo Partners. We have uh, almost thirty thousand tests. Um, I Which, think- if I just quickly disclose, I do work with uh, with those guys. I I like them, and um, and uh, there are times in which we engage in some light consulting together. So I just want to make sure that's disclosed. Here's and so here's when we first. All those things you said are true, right? But two things. First off, you're not looking at individual speed tests. You're looking at areas, right? So you're looking at a, at a statistically accurate, so a lot of people taking speed tests. The second thing for me, it's not really about the test, right? It's about the community engagement that happens as a result of pushing out the tests. So what we found is that communities got really hung up, totally hung up on who's served and who's not served. And they spent days, hours, months circling around that drain, trying to figure out who has what. Speed tests gave them a tool to move beyond that, right? And to begin to have conversations with their with their community about why it's important, what kind of speed you have, what does that number actually mean, um, and and why you might want a better service. So to me, the 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 data is interesting and you can only, you know, you, when you use it, you really have to use it with other, I mean, this, there's no one data source. You have to look at a whole bunch of them together to get sort of a, a, a real picture of what's happening. But to me, the real value is community engagement. It's that tool that allows the community to talk to each other about broadband in a way that people understand. Yeah. And Matt, you totally disagree, right? Always. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the engagement piece is really important. And so when you look at what uh, Illinois is doing with its uh, Illinois broadband map, that the speed test is prominently displayed there. So folks check it out. They look at the map and they say, like, is is the case a lot of times when you're looking at a broadband map, ah, this isn't accurate. Let me take the speed test. Well, the speed test results might not be accurate, but I think it allows for an instantaneous input into the conversation. So folks feel heard. I think that's really important. We also use it to, to kind of triangulate in mapping. And so we've got, you know, Form 477 data out there, which we don't need to go down that road. But in Illinois, there's uh, our own, you know, non-disclosure agreement, you know, uh, um, uh, path that we've established, collecting data directly from our broadband providers, uh, more accurate, more granular, more timely. Um, but we also recognize that even that's not going to be perfect. And so you take that and you compare it against what are the trends? What are the big pictures uh, that the, the speed test results are telling you. And that's how we can, for instance, deploy our field test uh, resources to go out there and, and, again, add another data point. So you've got what the providers are telling us, what the speed tests are telling us, what the field crew is telling us. 
And I think by triangulating, you're getting a much better read of where broadband is and isn't. Uh, so I, I'm high on the fact that there's a tool. It's not perfect, but I think it's added a lot to the conversation. And so we uh, we embrace it. I like both of those points. I mean, I, I love Peggy's point about the organizing aspect of it, the way it helps communities do something to feel like they're having tangible results. And then Matt, I, I really like that point. I feel like it's sort of like, it's not telling the whole story, but it's providing hints of where to look and, and giving a sense of, of that. Um, one of the things that I proposed, and I'm curious, Travis, what you think about this, um, when NTIA asked on all of its questions about how to uh, distribute the $42.5 billion and then, you know, how to make sure that that the providers that got that money ultimately from the states, that they would be delivering a service that was in line with the requirements. And one of the things that I had proposed is that NTIA should have a speed test. And um, one of the things that I would expect is that people like Matt and Peggy and others working for states could then direct people, you know, if they were dissatisfied and you were hearing from those people, or if you're working with local governments and they were hearing from those people, they could go hit that speed test. And if NTIA starts seeing a bunch of evidence, you know, not like a few data points, but a lot of them, they would know where to look and to investigate. And I, and I feel like we should be thinking more about like sort of developing hints and, and that sort of a thing, as opposed to trying to figure out like a perfect system that works hundred percent of the time. No, I, I like Matt and Peggy's approach that it's, I guess we'll use the word hint. It isn't a really, but it, but it's, you know, if you have, if you get enough data points, it, it, it can give you a pretty good area of where to look. Um, I think we should all be super jealous of Matt, though. He is sitting right in the location where all of the all the content comes together in the Midwest. It's and, in Evanston. Yeah. So uh, Matt should be, you know, Matt, Matt's right next to all the content. So he's a uh, so he kind of cheats compared to the rest of us that have to, you know, do long haul networks to get there. But um, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, if, it, if it's a hint, I guess I'm always worried when it's when they're giving away the kind of dollars that they're giving away you know you and i've had this conversation many times chris i i want to just make sure it goes to a solid technology with solid operators that are going to deploy the money effectively and actually make impactful changes on people's lives and if all they're doing is saying this speed doesn't meet the 25.3 which of course i think is a ridiculous number but that's i'm not in any control to change that um and right now, honestly, speed test is about the only thing we have. Right. I feel like the biggest Achilles heel, though, is that issue of if a person's doing it on Wi-Fi, if they're doing it while they have two kids gaming, you know. And so I'm curious, like Peggy and Matt, do you have any, are there any best practices? Are we going to get to a point where you can just ship out like $5 USBs to folks to have them wander around and, and do these sorts of tests in some sort of more interesting way? Well, I mean, I Again, for us, it's it's really about the engagement of the of the people, and we do. I mean, I think it's on the website. It says, you know, do this when nobody else is you. All that kind of helped, mm -hmm. right? And we actually encourage people to do it multiple times, so um, you know, we get a more flavor and a different time, so they can see what's there. But you know, I, the whole accountability on the new federal funds can't rely on speed tests. We as states, and when we grant this stuff out, we got to go out and check, right? We because once it's built and lit, you, you got to go check that stuff to make sure that what they built is what you what they said they were going to build. And so that's a different accountability. I mean, a speed test can tell you, yep, it's up, it's running. You still got to send somebody out to look. We what does that really mean, though? Do they, I mean, 
do they go inside the home and, no, and inspect? Yeah, I don't think do... we're going to go inside the home. We're definitely going to go to the COs. We're definitely going to look at the poles. We're going to look at, you know, sort of how they built the network and whether all of that stuff meets the requirements of what they said they were going to do. Yeah, that sounds um, <laughs> sounds refreshing. Chris called me one day and said, how do you think we could determine this? And I go, well, why don't we audit it after it's been installed? So, Peggy, I love your answer because it's, I mean, if, if it's a XGS pond network that's deployed and you can see the components and pieces, you really don't even need to go into the homes anymore because, Chris, your point is completely valid. The number of speed issues we've chased over the year because somebody's running a speed test on their Commodore 64, I mean, I'm being facetious, but they're super old technology and they're blaming it over a router they bought at Goodwill back in 1999. You could be bringing the fast connection into the home, but they're they're squelching it right as it enters. So, well, this is where I mean, Kim always tells us that she they do a speed test upon every install from yeah. the is it the NID, yeah. um, and and so that's something that um, you know one could uh, operationalize. But I would tell you, most modern networks that are being rolled out today, the CPE or the router that they're putting in the home can initiate speed tests. So well, I asked you about this when you said that not all of it does, which kind of blew my mind. Not all of it. Like for us, only the people have to opt in to use our router. Then we have that access. But if they have their own router, then it's all on their own. And I will tell you, people are passionate about using something that they spent $200 on. There, I mean, I mean, literally, almost religious. Some people are uh, that you don't they don't want to change anything out. Matt, did you want to add anything um, before we move on to the next subject? You know what? What can I add? It's all been said, but I I, uh, I don't disagree. Not going to stop I'm you. Doing, so <laughs> it never does. <laughs> but I thought you were on. leaning. I thought you were leaning forward leaning a little bit. That's what back. I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for that leaning forward. Um, so Matt, you want to keep you on your toes today. You were on Community Broadband Bits recently uh, and uh, did a stellar job. Um, I, the host was was out of his mind. It was so good. Um, <laughs> and uh, you had mentioned, I thought you were particularly good on how to engage, how important it was to engage local communities. And so I wonder if you want to just like sort of revisit that quick and then um, Peggy can take the con side about why we should ignore local communities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was going to be my answer for you, Peggy, is how, how you know, in, in really rural areas, I mean, how do you, you, do you invest in uh, community engagement? But because uh, um, I think that that's going to be a, a nut for all states to crack here, you know, moving forward is if you want it to be a community driven approach, you're going to have communities that have been chomping at the bit for this conversation for a decade plus. And then you're going to have the rest of your state that really has a, a stake in getting this right perhaps a greater stake than those that have been active, how do you get them to be part of the conversation? And so, you know, um, I know in Illinois, we've, we've stood up a few programs over the last couple of years. We have our, our Illinois Connected Communities Program that takes a holistic approach to, to broadband access, adoption, utilization. Um, we've had two cohorts, over 20 communities engage in that programming over the past couple of years. And the whole idea is you want a representative kind of like cross section of your community, whether it's a neighborhood in Chicago or, or a, a rural county or really anything in between. Uh, and you want to strive towards kind of a shared vision, like a broadband strategic plan that's community specific. So you engage you know, your provider community or, or new providers that might enter the market. Uh, you look at, um, you know, kind of like feasibility studies, kind of the light side of that. Uh, look at the market a little bit. The whole idea is, is start talking about, you know, what it might look like to have a community driven you know, access expansion, or how do you take advantage of some of these uh, uh, adoption and affordability programs? 
So with uh, with all of this funding coming down the pike that's focused mainly on infrastructure, we have evolved that program a little bit, and it's um, called Accelerate Illinois, focused specifically on helping communities leverage, you know, ARPA dollars. So those local fiscal recovery fund dollars that are just sitting there, you know, in Illinois, eight billion dollars worth of funds that could be used all for broadband. Uh, we just want to inspire local communities to use some of it for broadband because I think it's the best broadband dollar out there. Um, and, you know, I, I love state driven broadband solutions, but man, if it's already sitting in a, in a, a local budget, there's a solution for you right there. So this crash course, 14 week engagement built upon best practices that we've seen, you know, Chris, Christopher, in your, our home state of Minnesota with uh, with Blandon uh, Foundation and others. The whole idea crash course on how communities can be engaged in leveraging these funds that are right there waiting for them or, you know, state dollars that are coming down in ARPA or the infrastructure bill. And the whole idea, hey, you know, go through this, you know, kind of best practice curriculum, get the right folks, representative of the community around the table, try to identify a shared vision, engage your provider community, but also be open-minded to bringing in, you know, new voices to the market uh, and think through, hey, how do you best leverage, you know, this opportunity? And so uh, just today, in fact, uh, an initial cohort of six was announced. Uh, there's a second cohort that uh, that has been selected that will be announced down the road. And I think this kind of engagement is really important. And before I, I, I stop, you know, rambling on here, it's just also really important for me to emphasize this isn't just an office of broadband led initiative. It, it's working only because of the cross sector collaboration that Illinois office of broadband has been able to stand up over the last couple of years. So you're looking at you know, Benton Institute for broadband and society based in Evanston, right down the street. Uh, but also you have um, Heartland forward, which is a, a Midwest based think and do tank that has supported some of our work and not to mention uh, university of Illinois extension uh, increasingly our, our key program collaborators that help us do this kind of work. And, and that's another point worth emphasizing. I think if states are going to get this right, you really got to invest in that kind of collaboration because not all states are going to be you know, prepared to, to add community engagement officers in their broadband shop. And so you really got to lean on others. I could go on and on, but how about that, I leave that it there? Well, that Accelerate program is going to be the subject of Community Broadband Bits next week, as long as I don't offend hey. Bill Coleman, um, where we're going to do an interview tomorrow. So um, uh, that will be quickly turned around yeah. and, and put into the feed for next week. Yeah. Uh, so, Peggy, I you know I don't want to I don't want to tell this. Don't tell Matt, but I think Maine does this better than anyone. <laughs> like, um, you're just, you're, you've been doing it longer and, and you're at the top of that. So um, why, why has that been such a focus for you? You know, I, I got to say when we started in 2015, we had no money and you know, when you have no money, what do you do? You plan. Right. And so, and you know, what, what we discovered, what we know is that there are places where, where the incumbent provider doesn't want to play anymore. And so how does that community work, right? How does that happen? Um, and so a community planning process does a couple things. Um, it Before the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about why we need broadband. We don't do that anymore. They never, they have, they now talk about sort of what is it that our community wants for, for its future and how do we get it? And the most exciting thing for me is when communities start these conversations, they start with who's served and who's unserved, right? and trying to figure out how to patch something together. And they always end up at the universal service question. We wanna make sure everybody in town has the same access to the same service. Um, and so the, the, the community engagement does a couple things. First off, it shows the provider that there could be a market there, right? So that's a, that's, it shows that there could be a take rate that they could actually make money on. Um, mm -hmm. 
they it also engages the community in a way that the community sometimes puts some money into it. Um, and it just, it opens up the door around a conversation around digital equity and inclusion that doesn't happen unless the community, if you, if you just have a, a provider, if a cable company just comes in and builds everybody over, the conversation about how we make sure everybody in the community can afford this, how we can design it so it works that way, and how we make sure people um, have the digital literacy skills, that can, those conversations don't happen. Now, that's right about what do you do about communities that are like, and you know, we have, we've been doing, we call them boot camps. We don't call them, what did you call them? We call them boot camps. And so a couple of years ago, we had one in Western Maine. And it was, uh, I think it was about six or well, lot, lot, many, many weeks where people came together. Um, and it was challenging, right? Because people didn't actually have a good internet connection. So you'd have people come in and out and get fuzzy. And But we brought in providers. We brought in outside experts. We talked about how to do this kind of work essentially empowering the champions in each community to pull their community together to get a community planning group going on. Um, mm -hmm. The result of that right now in Western Maine is that we have a, um, a group that they've just changed their name. I think it's now Eastern Shore, which don't ask me why they call it that because they're in the Western part of the state. It always confuses me. Um, but they're organizing themselves around a school district. And in Maine, you know, we always have this problem. Towns don't like each other. I blame it on high school sports. You know, you play each other in high school sports. You never Even middle school either. sports, too. Yeah. Well, and so, but these are uh, uh, people that share a school administration unit, right? So they share a high school. Mm -hmm. They share a whole variety of things. And so they're used to working together. And so this um, district... Um, which includes one town in New Hampshire that's not connected to New Hampshire, um, is working together. And they're talking about creating a broadband utility district. They have a lot of unserved small towns. They have some pretty well-served larger towns. And they're going to, and they've been working diligently at this. I think the one is surprising thing for me always is who's in these communities, right? You start these processes and people crop out of the woodwork. You know, there are ex-telecom people who understand how networks work. They're the teacher. They're the librarian. They're the uh, retired exec from, some, from far away who understands how to organize people. Um, and those are all, that's sort of what happens in a community. Our job as a state agency is to make sure they have the support that they need to make that go forward. And so one of the things that we are constantly doing, I think we've done it three times this year, is we are constantly changing our community planning grants, constantly, based on what we hear and see in each round. So this year, we used to have what's called a phase one. We dumped the phase one. And now we're just going with a startup grant, which is at the beginning of every month. If you're interested in starting a broadband plan, you send us your name, you send us your address, we send you a, a contract and a check, and off you go. Um, and then you when then you can come back in for a, what we used to call a phase two. We just now call it a continuation grant because we've given out a lot of phase twos, even to the same people. And so we understand they have to build these networks out, right? And part of that is building this community planning process up. And we took a page from the Midwest. Um, we're putting in place a group of people that we call a community boosters, which we are stipending to have one person in every county who is going to work with that county to, to make sure these community um, groups keep going and make sure they start. Um, we've also developed a community practice, which is all of the people who've been doing this work in Maine. They meet um, about every other week on a Zoom call. 
and talk about successes and failures, right? What we can learn from each other. Some of them have been doing it for a long time. Some of them haven't been, but they're all coming together on a, on a, on a regular basis to have a conversation about what has worked in my community. How can it work in yours? Um, and by using that, we are starting to bring in more and more communities and little pieces at a time. We're starting another, um, this, the Washington County is starting another uh, boot camp up there. Um, and they're bringing in towns who've been talking about broadband for a while, but they're going to bring them all together and do the same skill building you talked about this, this sort of, you know, how you work in your community, how you make this happen. I just, I, the piece about this is that every com community is a little different and you need to be flexible and you need to be supportive. And so we are constantly changing what we do to make sure um, that these people have the support they need. And like Illinois, we have a team of people who've been doing this for a while, right? There's the Island Institute, there's the Maine uh, Northern Forest Center, there's the Council of Governments, our Community Foundation. Um, and it's really this village that we have created that continually supports right. this effort. And we couldn't do it without them. We just couldn't do it without them. You can't hire that kind of help. And it's really important to build those, those community support systems and get those organizations that are engaged in economic development in one form or another engaged in this activity. Um, we also have our AARP has been huge, right? They've now started this whole group called Community Connectors. And there's about right now about 50 volunteers who are working across the state to talk to people in their community, write letters to the editor, talk to their legislators about why broadband is important. So it's a whole variety of things, but it really, it centers on up the personal need of everybody needing broadband. That's great. Um, I have a question, but I want to give Travis a, a crack at you first, potentially here. <laughs> well, I guess our, our approach on community uh, engagement is a little different is when, when we choose an area to expand our network into, we, we, we try to engage the community to understand the logistics of what's going to happen. Cause as you can imagine, when you're doing a large construction project, I always call it, it looks like the circus is coming to town you know all this heavy equipment and machines and stuff are going to come through the neighborhood and, and it's interesting to think about a lot of the infrastructure plays a lot of these people who have lived in these neighborhoods 50 plus years have never seen the infrastructure being built they've never seen the sewer or the gas or even the cable for that matter it's just always been there so it's really been an interesting experience to try to educate the community as to what it takes to come through and overbuild a new network and that um so i i guess our aspect of engagement is, is a little further down the road um and then uh, also letting the political folks understand that uh you're going to get those phone calls from people to let let them know that the petunias have been damaged in their front yard on accident and it's it's a uh, it's a 911 issue that needs to get addressed so uh so that's my, my takes a little different um, than probably the folks that are running the broadband offices are. Just as long as you don't get the begonias. That's the uh, those the begonias. Like yes, yes, the roses. <laughs> yes. Well, so you know, I, it's just, yeah. When you're when you're when construction, a lot of equipment, a lot of people. There's going to be things that happen. But a little secret for people that are out there: get a bunch of twenty dollars Starbucks gift cards. It's amazing how many problems get solved on the street corner. <laughs> I hear you. We're sorry. Let us yes. give you this. Yes. Please vent. Please vent. Here you go. Thank you. Everyone's happy. So the question that I had is I feel like, you know, uh, 
the 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 best case scenario is the communities are already engaged. They're enthusiastic. They have people who really want to do this. Don't do you ever run across places where people are just sort of apathetic and they're like, eh, can't you just get the cable company to solve this problem? Like, I'm busy. I don't I don't want to do this. Does that happen? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We we had a um and sometimes we're lucky, right? So we had there was we got called to a meeting in Garland, which is um thank God it was virtual because it's about two hours from my house in the middle of nowhere. Oh well, um, we're gonna get some calls from Garland and just yeah, why are you saying this about likely. us? Um <laughs> and you know, they were like trying to figure out this this uh you know how they're gonna do this. And before I went to the meet, before they called, I said, you, you gotta call Bill Varney. He's he he's a small writer in that area. I said, call him, have him come. And so you know, there was a group of us, somebody from Senator King's office, somebody from the Economic Development Office, um, you know, Danny Sullivan from, from Down East. We're all sitting on a Zoom call waiting. And meanwhile, Bill Varney was just talking and we were all like, what are we doing here? Because Bill said, essentially, you're on my path. I can do you. You don't need to own your own network. I'll come. Um, and that, you know, we get a lot of those easy matchmaking um, but there are communities who are just like, this is too much. I don't want to do this. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really have an answer for them because if they're lucky, they'll find somebody and we can maybe do that matchmaking. But if they're just going to sit there and complain about their broadband and not move forward, then nobody's going to come and help them. You know? <laughs> Matt, I assume that you, because you're physically intimidating and very mean in real life, <laughs> as opposed to this persona that you have on 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 uh, right. online, that you just go when you intimidate people into working on it. This is your chance. Take advantage of it, yeah. folks. Yeah, I mean that's what we've been harping on for months now. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think you know to Peggy's point. I mean, I think you you can't force you know a, a horse to water. I mean, I, I think if it's not kind of in the in the ethos of a community, or if you've got kind of a, a maybe uh, outdated, you know, ideas of roles of government and the fact that this isn't something that a local community or a state or the federal government should be involved in. Um, that can be a hard thing for, for lo local elected officials to get past. And, and I think there's also the real concern about, hey, I'm intimidated here. I, I don't know this stuff. Um, I don't want to mess it up. You've got dollars that can be used for sewer or water or other needs that are, you know, arguably just as pressing. Um, why broadband? And so that's what, you know, I, I think offices of broadband at the state level that are are trying to open that door for communication, you know, put any fears at ease that, hey, if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Let's have a conversation about this. Here's some support how you can enter that conversation. We're going to be there with you so that, you know, it doesn't get messed up uh, because the dollars that are available one time, uh, historic, uh, we want to try to, as Peggy says, match make where we can input, I think, providers in touch with communities that want to be part of the conversation and vice versa. And so, uh, that's yeah, that's been the mantra for you know uh, pushing a year now, and I think uh, we just hope more and more communities you know open up to it. And so, I think actually this federal money has done that right because everybody's talking yeah, about how much money is coming into the state, yeah. and you know when we get emails from the governor's office saying I hope you're going to spend some of that my way, it gives you an opportunity to say you know we're not going to spend <laughs> it. You have to you have you have to be part of this conversation. Nobody's going to come in and do you. You have to be part of this conversation because we're building a network. We're not we're not going to serve you and not your neighbors. So you need to get together and talk with your neighbors about how you're going to make this happen. Yeah. 
Now, I wanted to to note that uh, there's a lot of good detail in there, but I wanted to pull out two things to make sure people sort of come away with an, with an important note, and that's that both of you have these programs that the state has helped to to form and to carry out that allow communities to get educated. And in some cases, Matt, I understand it's not just like one or two people, but you have some places that have sent 16 people um, to okay. these things. Yeah. And so, um, you know, those programs are very helpful, and that's something that um, uh, I'm sure the two of you um, can point people in the right direction, you know, I think to Benton. Institute um, has been very involved with this, the Blandon Foundation. They have a lot of ideas about how to do this for other states if you're thinking about how to pull this off. But I want to move on to headaches. And Matt, I want to ask you first, um, what are some of the headaches that you've been dealing with lately along these lines? Um, you know, and, and if you don't have any, you can pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'd love to pass. But, um, you know, I think I agree with Peggy fundamentally that states are ready for this challenge. Um, but I think that states that think that they're going to be able to put teams together and uh, and, and this is just going to happen um, are making a mistake. I mean, I think now is absolutely the time. Six months ago was absolutely the time to be staffing up, to be putting um, pieces in place uh, because, you know, guidance will be coming down the pike and then interim rule and then final rule and then go. And so I think that um, not all states, you know, are going to be in the same position where they can build an office. You know, I think if a state thinks that it's going to get by with two, three, four people doing this and no other help, you're going to be in real trouble. And so I think um, that's my advice for states is to really be planning to build up right now. I think those that are are going to be ahead of the curve. Uh, and I, I, I'm very optimistic that, you know, this model that we're, we're establishing right here with, you know, federal government as a payer, states as a, an administrator and local governments and our provider community as the doers is going to be the model to replicate. And I think uh, well, hopefully we won't have to replicate it because we're going to solve this problem <laughs> once and for all. But the point is, I'm really optimistic it's going to work. But this is obvious. It's not just going to work. We've got to really lean into this and we've got to put those pieces in place. And now is absolutely the time for offices to be staffing up, putting those resources in place and um, getting ready to go. You have to do a ton of work to make it look easy in retrospect. <laughs> so, yeah, all that I just said there, that's a headache, but it's one that's uh, worth having. And, and so, Peggy, let me let me flip to you. Do you have a, a different headache that you're wrestling with? No, it's with? a similar headache. So it's... it's um, copycat well no i mean i think every we're all trying to to build the airplane as we go right i mean now some of us have have you know we started with a cessna right and so we're adding on to it um but but we're trying to build this as we go and we understand the deadlines we understand sort of where we want to go we just had a big conversation today about our our um uh, what do you call it capital projects fund money and we have like this vision of how we'd like to do it and when we hit it up against the, the federal regs, it was like, oh, hmm, they're not going to allow that. So you just have, so some of it is you have this idea of like, this would be the perfect program. And then you hit against the federal regs and you're like, okay, so that piece is out. So let's think of a different way to do that. And so I think that that to us is, is, the, is the headache right now. It's not really a headache. Um, it's a challenge. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's an a chance to really think about this stuff and how you really make impacts and to listen. That's really important. And to be able to change quickly, right? When stuff isn't working, let's figure it out fast and change it. So we're going to put stuff in place. May not be perfect. That's okay. We'll fix it next time. You know, because we're going to try to do a number of rounds on this, a number of, of turnovers 
And so what didn't work that great in our first in, in our first sort of grant round, we're going to fix for the second grant round. We may try to fix it halfway through the first grant round. But I think part of that is this continual learning process. And to me, that's not really a headache. It's, a, it's, it's an exciting piece. I think the headache is going to come when we see the federal reporting requirements, what we have to do to, to, for what we've spent this money on and how we have to account for every 15 minutes that we've spent on it. That's when the headache is going to hit. Oh, greater fear, NTIA makes the deadlines or that the deadlines mm -hmm. slip? From, from, from my standpoint, we got to get this right. And so I'd, I'd rather take a little bit of time yeah. to get it right. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm guessing, <laughs> I just don't want the deadlines to be blown and we get it wrong. And so uh, let's make sure the time is taken and that things are set up right for states to succeed. There aren't arbitrary you know, parameters or... You know, underhanded, you know, policy put in place that's going to keep us from really seizing this moment. Because, you know, Peggy and I, hey, we, we know what those things are. We've seen them for a decade plus. And I think if we're truly able to operate in a level playing field and put these dollars to, to optimal ends, this is going to be a great story. But uh, it remains to be seen. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a huge, we have, a, we have huge potential here. I think with all of this federal money in the next five years or so, we can almost solve this problem, right? Get, at least the connectivity, the running the wire by people's houses. Yeah, I think right. we're going to get there. I really do. It's not because it's not just we know this is not just going to be the federal money, right? They're, we're going to have some of the uh, some some they're going to be provider money in there. There's going to be revenue bonds. There's going to be a whole variety of ways that communities can meet this challenge. But I mm -hmm. I am very excited that we're going to get it done. Now, I know Travis's head is filled with all the knowledge of how to actually build this stuff, whereas I can spend a lot of time focusing on, on remembering how much money is available in the different programs. So I'm curious, Travis, do you have any questions like uh, from a provider point of view about how they plan on, um, you know, dealing with all these challenges? Yeah, I would um, I would warn your operators just uh, uh, procurement timelines on parts and pieces and, yeah. and factor that in. Um, just since the beginning of uh, of the year, actually, sorry, in the beginning of last year, we've seen 30 to 35% rating or cost increase on material. And just this last week, product that was meant to be delivered in June that was ordered last year has now been pushed out to June of the following year and 23, just randomly out of the blue. So I would just warrant, tell them to uh, really make sure they've got their, their supply chain locked yeah. down, get those orders in, and and really push hard to to get the parts and pieces and then secondarily railroads all of your providers <laughs> are getting into this educate yourself educate yourself on the process to get easement across railroads and um, you don't want to get stuck with having an entire network built but 20 feet of railroad that you need to get across to finish it up so those it's are actually my Things. That is something that states can adjust. I mean, that is something that the providers could work with the state legislature on. I like to point out those things. I mean, the railroad companies, I'm sure they have good lobbyists, but like if you tell legislators that they can make it easier to get broadband out and it doesn't cost them any money, I, I hope that the legislatures or legislatures and legislators are all listening to that. Well, I, I would just say there is a very defined process for each of them. Educate yourself on them. Yeah. Educate yourself on the insurance you need. Educate yourself on the construction uh, constraints and just fit inside their box. Then the railroads are easy to work with. It's just really hard to figure out what size that box is. So, mm -hmm. so any, any comments on that from Peggy and Matt before we do the final question here? 
for us, it's not railroads, it's bridges. Bridges, bridges okay. I think I, I may have told that story before about how much I love that bridge um, over the Penobscot that just got replaced. I think just yeah. got replaced like 10 years ago. Yeah, um, beautiful the suspension bridge. bridge. And now it's, I don't know what it is, the Verona Bridge or something. Beautiful. Oh, if anyone's up in that area, area you, can take, uh, you can take an elevator to the top of it. You get this great view. Oh, it's, uh, it's lovely. That's a great that's a great DOT story of when that bridge failed. <laughs> it was sort of a it was a moment, right? A, a very rapid process to build something. Very rapid. That's a major yeah. highway, as you can guess. Yeah, we're familiar with 35W as well, and uh, um, with that rapid bridge process. Yeah. So all of us have those stories, I guess. Um, so any thoughts from you, Matt, before we do the the sort of the happy ending question? Well, I just think an interesting angle on this is, you know, so states are going to be set free and, and they'll have, you know, resources like never before. And so it's not going to be a matter of which state has resources and all those that don't. I think a really interesting kind of analysis here is the extent to which individual state grant requirements play on the purchasing power of those dollars in state mm -hmm. and which states are best positioned to make the most out of the federal funds that come their way. We've been asking for you know, a block grant program for states for years now. We're kind of getting it. And so what are the extra factors here that are going to put states in a position to really seize this opportunity? And what are those factors that are going to slow states down? I think this would be a really fascinating analysis and hopefully something that's done sooner rather than later so that it's not a postmortem for those states that that weren't in a position, but rather it's instructive to help states get in a good position. But I think that's that's something that I think is, uh, eh, you know, worthy of analysis. Excellent. So just, um, just <laughs> so let me ask then. Um, real quick, Trev, real go quick. Yes, I, I have a I have a question for Matt because I'd like his authorization. The uh, comment of the day is. It's not a think tank. It's a think and do tank. So old news, I, Travis. Uh -oh. Yeah, is that old news? That's news to me because I've talked to a lot of think <laughs> tanks that don't do anything. So I can uh, can I steal that, or is that public domain, or is that a copyright? Matt twenty. Uh, I, I stole it, so I think it's out there. I think uh, <laughs> okay. I would just attribute it to where I heard it. It's uh, Heartland Forward uh, out of uh, uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. So give them a little credit if you okay. use it. But uh, I think it should be used. That's what think well, tanks should do. I mean, that's one of those things that ILSR, you know, we chafe a little bit when people call us a think tank because we're like, yeah, you know, we do some thinking, but we spend a lot of time out there learning how things really work in the real world. And uh, and I feel like um, we've used that in the past a bit because uh, it's important to distinguish um, organizations that put forth policy and work on these issues that actually take the time to learn about it at the ground level. I love it. Which Thank is, you, Travis, I appreciate you making that part of my job so much easier. Yeah. Are, are you a think tank, Chris, or are you a think and do tank, though? <laughs> We're a think and did and do tank. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> I have a new policy. I only like to do the do's and did's. There you go. So. <laughs> we have the history as well. So Thanks. I wanted to ask, and I'll start with you, Peggy. Um, uh, are there some, like, success stories in the years that you've been working on this that you just come back to time and time again um, where, uh, you know, you sort of be the, 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 the best story in your biography, like, uh, where you're just like man that really worked well and we played such a good role and this is the way the process should work you know um we i mean we have some like uh, the the um we didn't had nothing to do with it right because it was sort of before that but the the what happened on islesboro now i know islesboro is different because they get some property tax there um but that really was a community planning process and they when they built that it not only built this network they also are providing a gig service at $360 a year, right? So that's like a big piece. I think the down east story is also really interesting, right? These are really poor communities and they're it's 
the thing about both those stories, it's, it's driven by a champion, right? So they had somebody in the community who liked the technology, who understood the technology, but was able to bring people together and take two communities, Baileyville and, and Callis, you know, not, not well off. Um, and both towns put up essentially a loan guarantee to build a, a broadband network. Um, Danny Sullivan, who heads it up, is now um, coming in for, for a uh, project in Cooper, which is where he lives. Um, and so that's, that's an area of the state that's not that well connected. Um, but they've started and they're adding towns. So they've got a broadband utility district. They added Alexander last year. They're adding Cooper this year. They're adding Princeton. Um, and it's a story about not only community engagement um, and champions, but also they, they have a willing and a very excited and interested local provider who is helping them every step of the way, right? They're helping them design it. They're helping them build it. I mean, it's all going out to bid, but this company has been successful at getting all of that. And I think to me, that's, you know, if you can do it there, you can do it just about anywhere. Well, and I, I would say that uh, your discussion about Islesboro, which which has a, a certainly a range of incomes across the island from um, pretty modest to, um, uh, let's just say it exceeds what I can even imagine. Um, when I when I talked to Paige Clayson, the champion of that back in the day, it was far from certain. I mean, it was speculative. It was, you know, it was definitely dicey going into the the vote about about yeah. that. So like, um, and we have those conversations in the broadband bits feed way down deep for people that want to want to well, go back. And they, to that. you know, they had all kinds of other problems too, right? They're an island, right? And so they were uh, CMP. They were lucky was building and was putting a new uh, line in, so they were going to piggyback an on electric that line fiber, yep. right? To bring fiber, but the the guy whose land that came off of didn't want to give a right away. So there, I mean, it's it's sort of like they were set. They had the money. They were building it, and then the things like you talk about, Travis, sort of hit right. Sort of here we have this other thing, right? And it's so it's it it is a story not only of a community that was successful, but met every challenge, which and there were a lot of them, um, smartly and you know diligently and doggedly. Matt, any examples that, that come to mind in, in Illinois, or have you not had any successes yet? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. No, you know, I am. Um, I, what I, I truly am inspired by is a local community that, that, that knows they've got to get in the conversation and they lean into it and they find success. And so we do have an, ex, an example. Uh, our Illinois Connected Communities program that launched in 2020, just going into the pandemic, uh, we had a, a small community, the village of Flanagan that applied, received some funding. And because of the engagement that took place over the next nine months or so, uh, they identified a provider and that provider applied for Connect Illinois grant funds and was awarded funding in round two of our Connect Illinois program. And so it's a great example of just a community, you know, just a couple of folks. I mean, it wasn't even the city leadership leaning into this saying, we want to be part of this conversation. And they, they worked the system and worked the program and they found a provider and it's going to get them, I mean, great connectivity and it's going to solve their, their problems for years ahead. So that's, that's, that's one that really comes to mind. There's another one too. I'll just say this. Cause you know, uh, Christopher in a previous life, I was traipsing around Minnesota trying to sell, uh, you know, my fellow legislators on the idea of investing in broadband. And, um, you know, and now half of the States have copied those principles more or less, <laughs> but I'll just tell you this. It was really cool to see a small, 
uh, provider get a grant in the second round of the program and and, and, and be able to go to that that fiber lighting kind of ceremony where we cut the ribbon. And uh, for, for a couple of years, this program was benefiting all districts around the state except my own, despite the huge broadband needs that my district had. And then finally, it kind of came around and just to see, hey, you know what? This is something that we were able to stand up and it actually has uh, some benefit just miles from my my home. It was, that was kind of cool. And so those sorts of stories where you just really see the real people who lean into the opportunity in, and uh, in the programs that we've set up, you know, solve a, a problem for them. So I'll go on no, and on, but those are a couple. Well, no, I want to I ask you to go on, on for a second, which is, I feel like a non-sarcastic question to this, oh. um, which is like, you know, when you lose an election, I feel like that's, it's gotta be hard to recover from. And like, when you look back on those sorts of memories where you had a concrete difference, you've improved people's lives through like hard work, fighting against your own leadership in some cases to establish <laughs> oh, that man. program. Like, I mean, are those are the things where you're just like on balance. I'm really glad I did that. Or does the, just the, the, what, what is it like being in public office and reflecting on that? Oh yeah. I, I mean, should say so, for um, people who don't know, so Matt was a Senator in the state of Minnesota um, for, uh, for a term. Yeah. <laughs> Two oh man. So this is a whole Two episode terms? itself, Christopher, yeah. but uh, you know, I think, I think my family would say it's, it's great that I served for a term and it's great that I was retired in 2016. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed what I've done in my, uh, in my retirement. Um, but I'll just tell you, I mean, it's, it, it's great. The thing that I miss the most is being able to take an idea into you know the, the the council's office you know those who, who draft a bill and say hey can we collaborate on making this idea a bill and in, in the idea of broadband it was very abstract and i had you know some legal folks look at me like what are you trying to do this isn't something states do and so literally i, I wrote a lot of it and the point is it, it's really um it was rewarding to be able to take an idea and turn it into something that's tangible and then beyond that something that actually can get passed and funded and so yeah, it was incredibly rewarding, but I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I got I got two little kiddos and one on the way. And so, that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm retired for so many reasons. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of a happy coincidence I'm able to, to do this kind of work. You know, my career was largely uh, around transportation and economic development. And uh, I think looking back, you know, broadband's kind of at the confluence of those two lanes. And it's funny how life works. But here we are talking broadband 10 years later. And uh it's just great to see states like Maine and, and others just really setting example around the country for for others to follow. And so I, I assume the conversation. I assume that it was just that when we were in grad school together, you just really admired the work that I was doing. And you wanted to follow my footsteps. Uh. <laughs> That's right. You guys, for, for folks listening, I, I've known Chris Mitchell for 15 plus years now. We're going to yeah. date ourselves. But you you were into this issue before anybody else I knew, and so uh, and I, I know the uh, the intent that you uh, that you applied to it. So it's uh, it's great to see what's taken off. But yeah, so Travis, story. Yeah, he's not very passionate about it either, is he, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. I'm not not compared to some others on this call um, who have <laughs> maybe even put more time into it. But Travis, any last questions as we're heading toward that conclusion? No, no, I, I think it's great. You know, I would tell people that, uh, you know, deploying these broadband networks can be very frustrating if you let it get to you. So I like to enjoy the victories and the victories for me are, you know, when you when you start lighting up people and start giving them service and you start having impactful change, I mean, literally, you know, life changing Im impacts uh, on people's lives. I mean, that's it's worth it's worth all the noise, let's say, at the end of the day. And oh, there's been some noise, Chris, hasn't there? So, yes, yeah, there's noise, and some of it, some of it's even from well-intentioned folks. You know, yeah, it's hard yeah, to yeah. <laughs> doesn't make it. Yeah, uh... I, I, you know, I, I forget because we all live in this every day. 
I forget how, you know, the vast majority of people have no idea how the internet works and what it takes and the parts mm -hmm. and pieces. So it's really hard to have a fruitful conversation with people that just, they're, they're nice folks. They're just not educated on how much goes into it. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and I mean, while we're talking about history, I, Peggy, I do remember, I think we met face-to-face, -face, I don't know if it was the first or the second time, but that radio interview. And that was where I was like, hey, this lady's going to be great for the state of Maine. This is awesome. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was doing this as a volunteer, so. <laughs> right. So um, this has been a, a fun discussion about what the states are doing, and uh, we are going to be back next week uh, with another show. Uh, it is going to be with, um, I don't there's these two new folks that are really on the scene. They're doing some good work, Kim McKinley and uh, Doug Dawson. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can bring to the show. I don't know. Um, excited to meet them. I don't know. Do you think they're going to be good? So Yeah, and I kind of doubt it. Um, it's going to be hard to stop today, I'll tell you that. <laughs> And uh, and it's it's the, it's the one year anniversary of the bet that I made that um, has been referenced on just about every show since. Uh, what bet was that? Sorry, real quick. Uh, the bet about whether the FCC would would certainly, beyond a doubt, with no question, I was totally obvious that nothing could get in the way, would raise the definition of broadband from twenty five three to something bigger by um, roughly March fourth of uh, twenty twenty two. And the victor will will win. What? What are the spoils? Travis. Travis does not have to buy wings for me for the whole year. I will be purchasing wings for him. We're heading back. I'm in San Diego. I'll head home right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Doug and Kim next week, and uh, there'll be some wing talk. And uh, I'm um, I'm really appreciative of Matt and Peggy coming on. The great work that you do. Um, and Travis, thanks for interrupting your um, you know three month long vacation to uh, give us some time. Yes, yes, thank you. I've got to go out and enjoy the sun. They they have blue sky down here. I don't know what that is. So we have blue back. skies all the time we're, we're here. It's, that out. it's always gray degrees. at my house. What do you mean? It's blue at your house? I got to move to St. Paul. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. This has been another thank fun you. episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.